Hi, and welcome back to Stand Partners for Life. This is a very special episode because today I have none other than my two parents here with me. And uh, usually I'm saying hi to Akiko and thanking her for being here, thanking a guest uh, for being here. But in this case, I might, might as well say, uh, you know, thank you for uh, bringing me into the world. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, why don't you guys say hello? Hello. Hello. <laughs> They're visiting from Kentucky where I grew up. Yeah, it's a real... Uh, it's a treat to talk to you guys because you're really the only two that know most of the real story about how I got started on the violin. And as Akiko and I have mentioned in some previous episodes, both of you guys are musicians, uh, professional musicians, and that, of course, had a certain uh, bearing on my, my growing up. But talk a little bit, if you would, each of you about... Um, just a quick overview about how you grew up and got started in music. Um, who wants to start? Well, I'll start. My father was a flutist in the Philadelphia Orchestra, and the school that I was attending, grade school outside of Philadelphia, gave students an aptitude test uh, at the end of third grade, and we were assigned instruments, and we were supposed to come back then for the beginning of fourth grade and play in band. Um, my father had in mind that I should be a horn player, and he had arranged for Mason Jones to give me lessons, but the school sent me home as a flute player. So now, Mason Jones was, at that time... Principal Horn in the Philadelphia Orchestra. Okay. Um, but the school decided I would be a flute player, since they knew that my father was a flute player. So my brother became the horn player, and I became a flute player. Nice. <laughs> and you, now you didn't study with your dad right away. Yes. Oh, right, okay. In the beginning you did. Yes. I have no memory of what lessons may or may not have been like. Um, he had me play on a Meinig flute that he had purchased in Europe on one of their trips. It was wooden with plated keys and a plated head joint, metal head joint, and I can't imagine what the band sounded like because there were at least three metal clarinets, metal in, clarinets. This, in this grade school band. They were pretty common uh, after the Second World War, uh, but I can't imagine what the band sounded like, and thankfully I have no memory of it. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, how was it studying with your, with your own father? Well, I really don't remember much of anything until... Uh, we moved from Philadelphia to Wisconsin, where my father uh, taught at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And during my teenage years, uh, evidently I was not very receptive to any sort of uh, suggestions that he might have on how I should play something. <laughs> and so he farmed me out to a, a very good teacher in Madison uh, for my sophomore and junior years, maybe ninth grade, I don't remember. Can't imagine not being receptive as a teenager to <laughs> your parents. 
not to jump to your part of the story too, Mom, but um, you studied with your dad then in college. Yes, and senior year in high school, I decided that I was mature enough then to uh, take his suggestions uh, as that and not as criticisms, personal criticisms. And so I switched back to studying with my father my senior year in high school, then also at the university. Okay. And for two years. Mom, you were there. But yeah. actually, take, take us there first, if you would, from, okay. from how you started. Well, my, my story is not nearly as interesting as yours, <laughs> but very similar, I think. Um, we had a, a program also in our grade school where the high school students would come and demonstrate the band instruments. Well, and the, and the um, string instruments, too. And where were you growing up? This was in Janesville, Wisconsin. And um, when the flute player played from the high school, I was just, you know, blown away. And I, that's what I decided I wanted to play. So um, I brought a flute home and... Um, took to it really, really well, uh, although the instrument that we had rented was not in very good condition, and it kept breaking down, and <laughs> my dad said, boy, if you break this flute one more time, that's it. So uh, <laughs> eventually they, they discovered that it wasn't a very good instrument and, and got me a good one, but um, I played all through middle school and high school and really, really enjoyed it. It was a... Um, a real release for me. Um, I, I needed, you know, something outside the academic uh, structure to keep my interests going. And I met Gordon's father when I went to summer camp in the seventh grade. Oh wow! Um, and was very impressed with him, um, and kind of maintained contact through summer camp. And then um, when I decided that I wanted to be a music major ended up going to the University of Wisconsin where he was teaching. And you guys had met maybe briefly before starting college at the same time? We did. We, we met uh, as seniors. I was in the uh, youth orchestra, the Wisconsin Youth Orchestra, and Gordon's brother, John, was playing horn in it. So I met John, and, um, and then one of the other uh, fellows in the orchestra introduced Gordon and I. Okay. Mother took an immediate dislike to me. Oh, you always <laughs> say that. Well, that, it's so funny because the same with uh, me and Akiko. That's true. She took an immediate dislike to me. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, good how these things work out. Um, well, so uh, what? eventually something changed in, in school, right? You had the same teacher. You were kind of thrown together a certain amount and right. must have was... taken a liking at some point. I was taking lessons and playing in the band, but I was a geology major my first year in school. And because my dad had said, you know, music is hard, there's not a lot of openings, so if there's anything else that you would like to do, do it. Right. And I had liked earth science in high school, so I started out as a geology major and uh, just hated it. (laughs) <laughs> the, the big lectures, and I enjoyed being around the other music majors. And so then my second year, I changed majors and became a music major. Did you, Mom, I mean, did you both pretty much go into school thinking that, that's, that you wanted to perform at the end of your studies, or, or was, it, was it less certain? I, I wanted to be a, an or, orchestral player. That okay. was my, my goal. 
um, the more I studied, the more I realized that the competition was pretty fierce, lots of flute players, very few jobs, and um, I thought more about uh, just becoming a per perhaps a, a college teacher or uh, having a, a large studio. Mm -hmm. And how about you, Dad? Well, I hadn't really thought that far ahead, and then when they had the first draft lottery and I got a low number, I wrote the service bands in Washington, and the Army had an immediate opening, and because none of the bands knew whether or not they'd have an opening when I graduated, and I didn't want to be drafted. Right. So uh, I flew out to Washington and auditioned and got into the Army band, and so I quit school at the end of the semester and was in Washington for three years in the and, band. And so you would have been how old? Well, I was 19. Wow. Yeah. And so, Mom, you stayed in school, finished your bachelor's degree. Right. Okay. Right. And then and we got married when she graduated. Okay. Where did you get married again? In, in, in Janesville. Janesville, right? Yes. Okay. Uh -huh. And so then you joined Dad in D.C. Right. Right. Uh, and we and, were just there as part of our tour, actually. I was. Uh, did you live in... Uh, in Arlington? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we did a little run, Akiko and I. Oh, did you? Uh, huh. Went by there, so we were remembering that you lived there. Yes. Yeah, I did. And what was your term of it service? It was a three-year commitment Okay. Uh, for the Army band. The other bands were four years, um, but they didn't have to go to basic training. So uh, the Army band was only three years, but you had to do basic training like anyone else in the army. <laughs> I just, I mean, I would be terrible at that, but what, what was that like? Well, it was a lot of running and obstacle courses and shooting. Uh, you had to be experienced once with uh, tear gas. And... No, right, that's when they said, you said they, uh, they made you go into a room with your masks on, and then at a certain point they released the gas and well i'm not even sure we had masks we went in with it <laughs> that's hardcore with, with our eyes closed and then they made sure that we opened our eyes oh. and that was uh to teach you the consequences of not wearing <laughs> masks is yeah and i'm blessed with a poor memory so we may have had masks that we took off i don't i honestly don't remember and i remember you uh, you mentioned at one point too that that I forget if it was during basic training or after, but there was some contest between the musicians and the non-musicians. And that had occurred before I got into the band. Oh, okay. Uh, people had to, usually had to re-qualify on their weapons, but the band always scored so high and evidently embarrassed a lot of the military district of Washington. And so they stopped having the band members requalify on their weapons before I got in. <laughs> Why do you think that was? Well, uh, it could be because we knew we weren't going to have to go into combat and we could uh. shoot without worrying about it at targets or it may have been because we are used to concentrating Yeah, and uh, often have good eye-hand coordination or we're good at following directions. I, I have no idea. But I all I knew was I never had to requalify. <laughs> and mom, what were you 
doing during this time, during these couple of years? Well, I took over um, some of Dad's teaching that he had established before we got married. So I was working at a couple of music stores teaching uh, probably about 20 students a week. 20? Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, flute students in that area and, and uh, quite a need for teachers. So. And had you been teaching at this point yet, Dad, or...? Yes, I was. Act, I actually started teaching, perhaps senior year of high school. Okay. The teacher that mother and I studied with uh, couldn't take all of the students that want to study with her. So uh, she and Dad agreed that I would probably qualify to teach some of the the young ones. Mm-hmm. And so I would teach on Saturday mornings. And when I left for the army, I had. Uh, 20 students. Wow. What do you uh, remember about teaching at that age? Well, I just used my father's philosophy, which was, you know, always having to do scales and exercises and uh, be very particular with how they were to do it, not let them get away with anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And he said, uh, you know, give them four lessons, and if they're not uh, following your suggestions, get rid of them. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. I like this era. (laughs) What about you, Mom? I started, I I think I might have been, gosh, maybe uh, ninth or tenth grader when I started giving some lessons to people that wanted to start. And I was just thinking when, when Gordon was talking about starting his students, I... I believe I charged a dollar a lesson well. when when I started, um, and that was great, you know. Um, but it was the same thing. I I was very interested in um, making sure that my students started with a good sound because so many of the other kids in the band didn't have a very good sound. So I wanted to really concentrate on that, and I also wanted to make sure that my students could read music. I, there were so many people in my band that couldn't read music. Uh. They were just listening to other people, and they, they couldn't count, I guess. So um, I, that was always something I was real fundamentally uh, interested in. So That's reminding me of, um, well, so the three of us have one more thing in common, that we had the same college conductor, um, Otto Werner Mueller. <laughs> I had him at Curtis, and you guys had him 30 years earlier in Wisconsin. But, yeah, one of the things he would say would wasn't about reading music or not necessarily, but um, if you weren't looking up at him for key key moments, he, you know, he would yell out, otherwise you are lying on your stand, partner, who is also wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. Yeah. <laughs> the way that, at least for us, that he would mark the parts, I don't see how anyone could get lost yeah. because he would re- rebar measures rest to correspond with phrases instead of, you know, 42 bars of rest. Right. And he would write in a few notes of a cue. It was wonderful. Yeah, even I remember uh, him changing rehearsal letters and rehearsal numbers. He had a a real fetish about that. And, And he was right. I mean, a lot of publishers would just put them in anywhere. They'd put, I guess one thing that I still see all the time now is the rehearsal letter will be, 
at the beginning of a bar right. <laughs> that has a pickup at the end. Right. So, you know, and he, he would claim, and I think rightly so, he would claim that when, you know, dumb orchestra players, when we saw the letter, we'd play that downbeat really strong when it was actually the next downbeat that should be. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, he, I think he had something there. Yes. Well, so here we are. Mom has her bachelor's, and Dad, you don't have any degree at this point. You Correct. finished your your term in the Army, and then what yes. happens? Well, uh, Mother encouraged me to apply for a TA position. It, it was actually not TA. It was a, an adjunct position at the University of New Hampshire because uh, they were looking for a part-time flute teacher. Now, can I ask, at, at that time, I mean, now it seems like every teaching position is adjunct. I mean, there's fewer and fewer full teaching positions mm. now. But back then, was, was that also the case where a no- normal teaching position was adjunct? or Only at the smaller okay. schools. And New Hampshire was not a really large school. After I left, I can't remember the time frame, but it became a full-time position incorporated with teaching theory. Um, and so, so you, you got that. Right. I, I got that because the two of the faculty members there had gotten graduate degrees at Wisconsin. Oh, okay. And knew my father and had people that they could call to find out <laughs> what my playing was like. And they thought that there was a good chance that I would stay there for at least three years um, since I didn't have a degree and I would have the benefit of the GI Bill. Uh, right. And they were correct. So I got uh, a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree actually in history because they didn't offer a performance oh, okay. master's degree there. Music history? Music history, yes. Okay. Um, so I studied with myself, I guess, for the, the two years. <laughs> the best kind of study. Right? Yeah, uh, right. I had uh, the opportunity when I was in the Army Band the first year to take a, a series of six lessons or so with uh, Julie Baker up in New York, but they could only be, you know, with his schedule once every six weeks or something, and you know, I needed something more regular. So okay. and he the, was was he principal of New York yes, at that time? Okay. Yes. And so then for the next two years I arranged uh semester not weekly but twelve or thirteen lessons a semester with Britton Johnson. Okay. In the in the uh, Baltimore Symphony. Okay. And you, you did that on your own? Yes. Really, yeah. And after New Hampshire you got the the job in Lexington, Kentucky, right. which is how uh, me and my sister came to be. <laughs> um, and uh, did you keep teaching in New Hampshire, Mom? Yes, I taught uh, taught quite a few students in, in New Hampshire and um, did a little bit of teaching at the university, too. I did some some extra students that wanted to take that Gordon didn't have room for. So. And you taught at Phillips Exeter yes, Academy. Yes, I taught. Yes. Okay. Were there any auditions during this during these years or I took four auditions when I was in the army band and okay. nearing 
the time when I'd have to decide to get out or re-up, which I never considered. Okay. <laughs> um, and those four auditions convinced me that I did not have the nerves or the concentration or the preparation skills or the technical control to uh, survive a good audition. And had, did, you, did you ever work with your dad for auditions? No. I, I forget. Uh, or any of the, the lessons you were taking, was that more on solo repertoire? Or was that orchestra it stuff was, sometimes? It was uh, both. Okay. Yes. Uh, we didn't do any solo stuff, really. It was uh, all orchestral excerpts and etudes. Right. I, you know, I was enjoying teaching at the college level, and so I decided that that's probably really what I was cut out to do. Yeah, and the, was there anything particular about the Kentucky position that was attractive, or just it was... Available. They offered it to me. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and it included the... a woodwind quintet, uh, which I had really enjoyed in New Hampshire. Oh, uh, right. And it was well, the school seemed to be well funded. They seemed to have a lot of money for, you know, all kinds of different things in the music department. So Scholarships. We, yeah. Well, so did you, uh, had you always planned on having uh, kids right away or did you... I think we're like any other couple. We kept waiting, you know, until the time was right. And then there comes a time when you think, well, we better just do this. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, almost yeah, exactly the same. Exactly. <laughs> you know, when we were in the Army, we didn't know, you know, what was going to happen afterwards. And then right. New Hampshire knew it wasn't full-time and it wasn't going to pay anything after I wasn't getting the GI Bill anymore. right. And then yeah. uh, once we felt settled in Lexington, and as Mother says, the the timing was right. Then yeah, cool. So now we get to make it all about me. This is my yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, this is still going to be about you because uh, there's so much I don't know about um, how you helped start me on the violin. And, oh, okay. Um, now, what I think I remember, but this is just secondhand from you. Um, so I just asked about playing something because all your friends were musicians and you were just, I, it seemed like everybody was a musician and that's just what you did. Well, it was helped along by all these Suzuki teachers that we knew that would, you know, when, when they would see you, they would say, well, Nathan, when are you going to start playing the violin? Ah, uh, okay. I mean, it was just, it was that prompting that that uh, that started it, you know, there were probably five or six different people that were asking you that question all the time when you were three or four years old. It seemed like there were a lot of Suzuki teachers and Suzuki camps around Lexington. Is yes, that... there's a real hotbed of Suzuki-ism there. Huh. And so, I mean, when I started there, did you have to think very much about Suzuki versus not Suzuki? Because people agonize about that nowadays. No, um... We, I didn't at all. I had heard uh, a touring group of Japanese children when I was in college at the University of Wisconsin. Marvin Rabin had brought in a group of Japanese Suzuki students that just blew my socks off. They uh -huh. were, you know, maybe six and eight years old, playing the Bach double and switching parts and marching around, and you know, one person 
playing their bow on the other person's oh, yeah. violin. <laughs> I mean, they just were, looked to me like they were having a blast. And I thought, gosh, I wish I could have done that at that age. You know, that looks like so much fun. And so, That's nice to hear. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times when people think about the, the group aspect of Suzuki, you know, they think, oh, it's more, it's like the military, it's like drilling. But yeah, from reading what he actually wrote, it's supposed to be fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it just looked like a ball to me. And we would never have considered starting you on conventional violin, at, at you know, especially at that age, at four. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, what was it like? Because, you know, we've just started Hannah, who's now five years old. We started her last summer in Suzuki. And yeah, as a parent, and I, you know, I don't teach her. I, I, she has a wonderful teacher, uh, Lori Niles, but I practice with her and so does Akiko. And yeah, it just, it seems so slow going. <laughs> I mean, what do you remember about those beginning stages? Well, um, first of all, you, I felt like we had to make a commitment to do whatever the teacher said, even if I had a different idea about how things should go. I, I decided we would have to be totally committed to the Suzuki system, and, and we did, you know, do everything that the teacher told us to do. Um, I didn't think it was that slow, actually. I, I um, you know, I knew they were trying to make things interesting and fun, um, but there were so many skills involved. I mean, just just the way that you needed to stand and um, hold the violin when you weren't playing and, um, you know, the, the bow grip and everything. It just seemed like there, were, there was a lot going on. So the actual playing a, a aspect of it, uh, I thought, went along pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And this is the usual system, I suppose, where in the beginning it was, in the beginning it wasn't even a real violin, right? It was right cardboard box. With right. A, yeah. And... Only group lessons to start, or no? There were there were group and and private right away. Right from the okay. Right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And you were the one mom usually practicing with me, or always right practicing with me. Right. I practiced with you one time. One time. <laughs> I can't remember. I think mother was over in Frankfurt teaching, and so it fell upon me to to teach you, and you had your do and done jar. <clears throat> and you took something out of the dew jar and played it and said, how was it? And, <laughs> and I said, well, uh, what did you play? <laughs> and, and you said, mother looks in the book. So, I, you know, I get the book and there's <laughs> two or three different Suzuki books in there. And uh, I didn't know what you played, so I couldn't look it up. And, <laughs> and I said, well, what was it? You, and, and you said, well, Mother can read music. Can you read music? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know the name of the song, probably. Or oh, I imagine you did. I just wasn't saying. Eventually, right. I, I found it, but you know, I may have had you play it again while I was looking at the music, so I would know what you were doing. <laughs> And you, did you uh, always have your flute out when? Quite often, yeah, I, I did. Um, I didn't know any other way to try and, you know, 
correct your pitch or slow you down if I needed to. So. Oh, so were you playing with me? I, often, yes. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. Doing things over again? Because it's pretty hard to get Hannah to do anything over again. Yeah, there's a real fine line there between, <laughs> between you know, keeping, keeping you happy and engaged and, you know, turning it into drudgery. So sometimes we'd, we'd say, you know, you need to do this five times. And, um, you know, we, we used stickers and things like that to, to make sure that, you know, you, you kept uh, focused and happy. So, okay. um, but yeah, given a choice between making you do it a bunch of times and keeping you happy. It was always keeping you happy. <laughs> okay. I sound like a, a terror when I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> now it just, you know, you just lose your focus, you know, once, once it becomes a chore. So, right. Yeah. We wanted you to enjoy music. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's great. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that is what we want for Hannah too. Sure. There are yeah. days at a time when it seems like she doesn't, even if we're trying to keep her happy. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have your your periods of time where it where it's more a chore than anything else. But that's when you just have to come up with a new twist on things. So. And did I mean? Because people always ask me, or, or they'll tell me, actually, you must have loved playing right from the beginning, or did you ever want to quit? And that I, I just don't really know the answer to those. Well, for sure, you never wanted to practice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I don't think any kid does. Um, you know, we we used several different approaches uh, to get you to practice, and and once you know, once you got your violin out, you always enjoyed it. But it was just initially getting it out and getting started. And there was a time I think in junior high where, you know, your friends were out playing basketball and you were inside practicing where. It, it, it began to, you know, you, you thought a little bit about not playing, but I think you enjoyed youth orchestra and the camps that you were going to so much that it was a, you know, it was kind of a, a toss up which way it was going to go. And you never practiced that long. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, you took to it quickly and could learn things right away. So. We didn't have to drill you over and over, or mother didn't have to drill you over <laughs> and over. Well, there was so much, uh, you know, we had the Suzuki records and then tapes. Right. Right. I mean, we were supposed to, I was supposed to be listening to that. Right. All the time. And the idea was to imitate what you heard on the recording. Right. Yeah. And, um, right. You know, it did allow things to progress pretty quickly without any note reading or anything like that. And that... Um, at what point, at, at a certain point, you guys decided, right, I needed to learn to read music because they were so slow about it in Suzuki well, at that time. Yeah, I, I really felt like you should have started learning reading music be long before you actually did. But once again, it was, you know, we decided we were going to stick to whatever the teacher said to do. Sure. And at that point, at that time, I think they were wanting to wait until you could read uh, well, um, you know, academically. So I see. Um, most kids weren't starting to learn to read until a little bit later. Now, you were an early reader, so I think we could have started you a lot, a lot sooner. And the Suzuki approach to uh, learning to read notes was really a scattergun approach. It was like 
they they tried to teach everything at the same time um, notes rhythm uh, all kinds of things all at once it was and I, I just decided it was too much all at once so we broke it down into um, a little bit smaller aspects and and you caught on very quickly so and I sort of remember some early sight reading just being terrible for me because uh, you know I could play things without looking at the music so much better than I could look you know all of a sudden when I had to read music I felt like I was going back to book one again. Oh okay well what I remember is um, when you could read music you were very confident about what you were playing. Um, they hmm. had this a little ensemble group that got together after they introduced note reading and you know played very simple music and that was I, I thought I saw you playing with a lot of confidence when you could read that music. And uh, okay. Now, how much uh, how much time are we talking practicing? Like in the in the beginning, ten or fifteen minutes. Okay. All yeah. right. Good. So we're not that far off track. No. With, with Anna. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Because <laughs> that's about all we can. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to just use the window of opportunity that you have, and that's you know that's a pretty long time span for somebody that's four or five years old. And my first teacher, Donna Weehy, uh, who I stayed with through all the 10 Suzuki books until I was, what, 10 or 11? Yeah. Um, how hard was it to, to find her starting out? And then how did you know that she was the, the one to stay with for, for so many years? Well, uh, she had some excellent students. Um, and she was highly recommended by the other Suzuki teachers, so that's that's why we started with her. And as far as staying with her for as long as as we did, uh, you were making pretty fast progress, and we decided that the logical place to end that relationship was when you finished book ten, mm-hmm. which was what you were what ten then. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, um, and hardly anybody stays that long. No, even even then, I think. Right. Now, never. Yeah, um, yeah. We could have switched earlier, um, but it it just turned out to be a good a good time and a good place. Well, yeah. And what what were her special skills as far as relating to to children? She was very patient. Um, and she really, she understood the fundamentals uh, very well, was always, you know, you probably remember, she was always on you about that straight bow, and, you know, <laughs> you know, she just never let up on those things. She was real consistent about that kind of thing, and very excited about the literature and the classes and the recitals and, you know, uh, very... Uh, uh, complimentary uh, of the older students that she had and wanting you to look up to those students. And, right. Um, she also supplemented uh, the Suzuki material with other th- things Yeah, yeah. to keep you, I think, to keep you around longer. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember the all the ragtime stuff and the, right. some double-stop etudes that seemed so impossible in the beginning <laughs> right polish dance which you called polish dance <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> now we, I, I know I have a, a recital, a Suzuki recital from when I was seven years old or yeah, I think seven years old that I've digitized and have on my computer. And oh, that's okay. when I, when I look at that, I just think, well, for one thing, I, I don't change facial expressions ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I just look like I'm mowing through the stuff with, <laughs> with not much care. Well, but, yeah. But you never let the notes get in the way of a good tempo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. Um, but it, it's, I mean, performing, from what I remember, there was a lot of performing, you know, even if it wasn't all formal, right? I mean, the, there was just constantly getting up in front of the group and playing a song. Right, yeah. Um, there was a lot of community stuff, too, where they would take groups of you and have you play here and there. And I'd say every group lesson that you had every week, you would play for, you know, a, a small group of people. So, Because yeah. I look back on that now and think how nice that was to just have performing be something regular, routine. Because there's always, I mean, there's a point, yeah, you mentioned junior high and somewhere around there, yeah, the, those performances started to get more, you know, laden with, with meaning somehow. Yes. <laughs> nerves start to become a factor, which they never were at that age. Right. There is that moment around middle school or early high school where they've, they've got to decide to, or their teacher or parents decide to tackle the harder repertoire and put in more time. And right. I know in my case, putting in more time was relative. Um, it was never, <laughs> I see, I think maybe a maximum of two hours practicing. You um, never got up to that until <laughs> you were preparing to memorize the stuff for Curtis audition. Yeah, for, for yeah, I, I think yeah. for college auditions that it was. Yeah, otherwise, uh, Dan was always hoping you would do an hour. <laughs> now, this would be Dan Mason, my teacher after right. Mrs. Weehy, who right. was your colleague at the, at the University of Kentucky. Um, he was also a wonderful teacher. He had studied with Heifetz um, out here in the 70s. And working with him was very different. For one thing, it was longer lessons, not, not always by design. But <laughs> <laughs> it was true. great. I mean, he was, you know, he didn't exactly charge us the market rate, if I remember correctly. You're and, right. Yeah. Yes. And he was, you know, he'd just go as long as... As long as you waited to pick me up, and I didn't, I beg you to make sure and come on time. Yes, and ring you the doorbell did. And you did often. <laughs> make sure that you're there right at the yeah. hour. And so. he eventually he he would catch me looking at the clock, <laughs> and so he would uh, start putting every clock at a different time. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Just, uh, would turn into like a MC Escher thing. Or, <laughs> That's like, funny. Um, what do you remember about? him as far as steering me toward getting more serious or, or, or not steering me? Well, we made it clear to him that we didn't necessarily expect you to become a professional musician. We wanted him to keep you enjoying playing the violin and enjoying music. That's the whole point. Yeah, he was, he was very good at keeping you interested. I think he he talked a lot of history. Um, he did a lot of physical things with you, too, stretching and warming up and things that you were interested in. Um, right. And um, 
you know, he was able to tell you a lot of stories about Heifetz and, you know, things that he'd done. And um, I, I think he just kept your interest intellectually. I mean, he was a, he was a good teacher, too, for you at that, at that point, too. But, um, but, yeah, he was able to, to keep your interest and keep you focused. So. And what about other parents? I know Akiko's mom always had to, or what's a, what's a better way to say it, the format of her lessons would be all the parents bring the kids to Juilliard or Manhattan School or wherever it might be, and they're all sitting around one big room or wait, waiting area, and you know one by one the kids go in to have their lessons, and the moms are vying for favor and constantly trying to, you know, suss out who's got what concerts coming up. I mean, did you interact much with other parents and was that ever difficult or, or, you know, tense? No, it was, it was a very community oriented group of parents. Uh, I think everybody was interested in everybody else's kids, you know, what, what they were doing outside of music. And, um, you know, I, I think the Suzuki program was uh, promoted that good citizen type student. You know, they wanted good character and wanted to make sure that you weren't uh, bragging about which song you were on and that kind of thing. It was it was a very supportive community. Uh, I never felt any competition or any jealousy or any self-serving amongst any of the parents. So... That's nice. I mean, and I know there were, there were some kids around my age, uh, either from Lexington or, or nearby, that, and they, they were kind of doing a different track, really traveling for lessons. We didn't see any reason to drive you up to Cincinnati All right, for I... lessons. You can get the same <laughs> schooling information in Lexington. Well, you had other things that you were interested in, too. You were playing tennis and chess and, and doing some other things. We wanted to make sure that you were doing all the things that you wanted to do rather than just one thing that we might have wanted you to do. <laughs> <laughs> you, honestly, you would have quit if we would have tried to oh, yeah, encourage you to take a whole Saturday to go up to Cincinnati just for violin stuff. Well, and I, I remember, I guess, when I would have started going to my first summer programs, you know, it was always, the idea was always kind of floated maybe by Dan um, to do one of the programs like Meadow Mount right. or I think eventually Encore when that got started. And I mean, I remember just being terrified of having to do something like that where, where everyone practices for four or five hours a day. Right. And so we were very careful to find places that were not like that. Not the practice prisons. Yes. Right. <laughs> Now, yes. was there, was I playing for any other teachers around this time? I mean, were you trying to get me to, <laughs> were you seeking other opinions? I know that in the summers, you know, I had to have a lesson, at least a lesson every summer with Marilyn McDonald, because you were playing in the Peninsula Music Festival with her, and she was on faculty at Oberlin. Yes, no, while we were in Lexington, unless Dan would have you play for someone else, uh, no, we weren't looking to have you play for anybody else. Do you remember a time where it seemed like I wanted to get more serious about things? And I, I ask mostly because this is a very important question for either the students themselves or their parents. They always want, you know, what's the time that, what should we be looking for? 
and of course it's going to be different, I imagine, for everybody. I, I think when you came home from that camp in um, Washington, D.C., that... Oh, when I was 15. Yeah, I think you had decided that you really wanted to play in an orchestra. That's funny. That's what I remember myself, too. Yeah. Um, before that, I don't, I don't think there was a, any real strong desire, you know, to, to do it more than just what you were doing, playing in an orchestra, you know. At, uh, at the high school level or the college level or something. But it seemed like after that camp, and after hearing the National Symphony and, um, and participating in, in that camp, that that's when you decided that's what you wanted to do. And then when it came time to look at schools, we just sort of, I mean, we took Dan's advice and tried to include at least one university that wasn't a conservatory. Right. We knew that we wanted you to audition at Curtis, if you could, because there was no tuition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a fabulous school, and your grandfather had gone there. Right. Both mother and I had auditioned, and we were down to the final three, and they luckily chose the third person. Or, <laughs> or we wouldn't have gotten married, and you wouldn't be here. Yeah. I know, yeah, we were, Akiko and I were just talking because we, uh, part of our recent L.A. Phil tour went through Boston, and um, since Akiko did her undergraduate at Harvard, back then she was considered, you know, Harvard didn't have a music performance degree, and it still doesn't, so, you know, she was there for English, and at that point, honestly, she was just kind of tired of <laughs> the whole violin thing, um, and so even toward the end of her undergrad, she, she was applying to law schools. And as we were taking a rainy walk this time through Cambridge, um, she saw the law school and she said, yeah, if I had gotten accepted there, I would have gone. Huh, and wow. then we were thinking, yeah, then we wouldn't have met. And, but then we thought again, like maybe we still would have met, you know, she, maybe she would have practiced law in Chicago or LA <laughs> or something. And, True. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it couldn't have gone any worse than it did when we actually met. As <laughs> dad, so. Yeah, I um, feel the same way. <laughs> it's probably a, a good place for us to wrap up, but is there any other uh, recollection you want to add at this point? I think the only, the only thing you, uh, I've been thinking about is it's hard when you're a musician and you have a child and you think, do I want to encourage my child to be a musician or do I want to not encourage them? And it's a, it's a difficult decision. Um, you want to, you've had so much joy being a musician that you'd like to share that with your child, but you don't want to push them. So you're always walking a, a fine line there. So you're doing well with Hannah. She's enjoying it. She just had her first, uh, First performance of a real song being right. a Twinkle and its Variations. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which it sounds like she got through. She did. She did a mighty good job. We were away on tour when it happened, so you guys had to shepherd her right. through that. Right. We had that privilege. <laughs> we, uh, as far as you were concerned, tried to make it very clear to you that we did not expect you to become a professional musician. It right. had to be your decision. We weren't going to be disappointed if you didn't. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, I remember that feeling. Yeah, I just sort of remember thinking that if I, if I had a chance at it, I wanted to see if I would be 
you know, good enough to, to do it. But yeah, I, I don't remember any pressure from you guys. One thing I forgot to ask about, did I ever watch you guys teach? Because I sort of remember, I mean, I, I think I had to be along some of the time, like uh, if there was no babysitter or something, wouldn't you bundle me in the car? And We, we did that when you were very small. We would often take you, especially in the summer, we'd spread a blanket out even where we were teaching and have one of the students watch you while we were teaching. But, you know, you were, you were pretty small. You were often in the living room when we were in another room teaching. I'm sure you heard, you know, things that were going on. Yeah, because there, there's that story you tell about me barging or crawling into someone's room, and <laughs> well, that was <laughs> we we were uh, looking for a new clarinet teacher, <laughs> and he was warming up. Uh, one of the candidates, uh, he was actually from the University of Wisconsin. I didn't know him, but my brother did, and of course my father did. So uh, we had him out to the house, and he was warming up in the back bedroom, just peeling the, the paint off the walls. <laughs> and uh, he went into the room and said, uh, could you play a little louder, please? <laughs> and he, he freaked out. He thought, boy, <laughs> if, if this little toddler thinks I'm not projecting. <laughs> now, I must have heard one of you say that, though, in, in a lesson. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sure. You yeah. heard us say it constantly. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. So I, I must have been around somehow. For... Yeah. It's a wind instrument. Put some air into yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice. I, you know, when we have auditions here in LA or when we had auditions in Chicago um, it's nice because I feel like I have that that uh, sound in my ear from grandpa and both of you guys sure um, yeah. you know I know what a quality flute sound is and you know I don't pretend to know as well as our flutists uh, but I feel like I there, there's some language I, I have to, to at least describe what I'm looking for and, and I, I just have it so Clearly, clearly in my ear, you know, what, what's real and what's good and what's uh, not fake. Good. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, that's great. Thank you guys so much for uh, being willing to sacrifice a little of your uh, vacation time here to come on to Stand Partners. We've um, enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> great. And so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll cook some dinner and uh, hope that the other two kids are still napping and just uh, try and try and survive the evening. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> All right. Thank you and uh, see you next time on Stand Partners for Life.